when they wrote the Psalms, they wrote down what was the oral prayer of the people. They wrote it down in Hebrew. Then it went through a number of different languages before it got down to us in English. So what the, orig- the original was sing song. It was they memorized these. They pre- they sung them from memory. They they had rhythm and rhyme. We don't quite have that when we read the Psalms. But Psalm 19 is really interesting. You may be familiar with it. I'm sure there's some verse of it that you are. But it opens with this incredible thought. Now, for those of you that have never been outside of Ohio, uh, you won't understand what I'm talking about. But do you remember the first time you saw a real mountain? Or the first time you saw the ocean? Or the first time you went to uh, Grand Canyon? That's a mountain. There's no doubt in your mind. Yep, that's a mountain. And what the psalm says is, the glory of the Lord speechlessly reminds us of the Lord. And it, but Now, that's what it says. But I mean, that's what it means. But it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth their speech. Right after, right, night after night, they display knowledge. See what I mean? There's, there's kind of a disconnect. But I like the last verse, and you'll be familiar with this. And that is my prayer for this moment. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Six weeks ago, John came to me and said, "Um, I'm going to a baptism of my grandchild, Ayla Rose, in uh, Pennsylvania. I'm going to miss on the 9th. Can you you, uh, preach for me that day? And I said, sure, no problem. I had six weeks to prepare for this message. Usually I had six days. Six weeks is like a lifetime. Clearly. I could have you here until three. So if, as you need to leave, just feel, just get up and go. Now, if I were a pastor still, and praise God, I'm not. You don't have to say amen to that. But, uh, well, first of all, John Wesley is my hero in so many ways. Um, he said once, never to be forgotten, the preacher should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Meaning that what the preacher's responsibility is, is to help make sense of what's happening to us this day. So, something happened this week. Something pretty significant, I think. And if I didn't know better, I would preach about it, but I'm not even going to mention it. I will say this. The world is divided into two parts. Those who didn't watch the Super Bowl or the halftime show, and those that watched the Super Bowl and the halftime show and shouldn't have. I asked a friend of mine who has young boys at home, I said, how'd you like the game? Well, you both, you know, it's one of the best Super Bowl games ever, clearly, especially if you were rooting for Kansas City. 
But I said, I said, but how about the boys? He said, well, fortunately, they were out of the room at the time. And I got to believe in a lot of homes across this country, parents were saying things like, um, is there any more ice cream in the refrigerator? Or I hid the Girl Scout cookies. You guys want to see if you can find them? Or go play in the traffic, just anything to get them out of here. I am positive that there are very few families where the parents said to their children, especially to their girls, oh, come in here and look at this. This is really... But I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm sorry. So never mind. The bulletin has, uh, says that we're going to be talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But I have a little bit of, um, of a game here for you. It's, uh, what is it? Wheel of Fortune? You can figure out what the title of the sermon is. You can see it's a question. So in English, most questions begin with the, the first letter is W, except for one time. It's, then it's how. Good. And then how something I live. Yeah, live, love, live. So the, the one that's the hardest is the O. It's ought. O-U-G-H-T. Ought. How ought I live? Which is the question that you ask yourself every time you pick up this book. How ought I live? This is not a science text. It's not a geography book. It's not a history book. It's not a cookbook. It's not a biography. It's human beings like us a long time ago wrestling with what it meant that God was in their life. How ought I live? We should ask. So today we're going to we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians, and that raises four questions in my mind, at least. Question number one: Who are the Thessalonians? Number two: Where are the Thessalonians? Number three: What is Paul doing in Thessalonica? And number four: Who cares? I'm serious. A preacher always has to ask that question because you realize that many people really don't care, and so you've got to find a way to have them care a little bit. Thessalonica is the city. The people that live there are called Thessalonians. Okay, that was smart. Thessalonica is at the northern tip of the Aegean Sea. Now, if you're like me, the only geography I can know about Europe is I can find Italy because it's the boot. And on one side of the boot is the Mediterranean Sea, and on the other side is the Aegean Sea. So there was in the Aegean Sea a place called Thessalonica. It was a harbor. It was a trading port. It was a very cosmopolitan city. There were a lot of people there. It was not a Nazareth. Nazareth was a one-horse town. Lots of donkeys, just one horse. But this, this was a big town. There was a lot going on there. Okay. Um, what was Paul doing there? Well, the reason you ask that question is, where is Thessalonica? Well, it's 918 miles north of Jerusalem. 
Now, how far is 918 miles? Well, if you leave here and go north on 250 and make several turns, you'll eventually go through St. Paul, Minnesota. And just beyond that, a couple clicks, that's 918 miles. If you choose to go south on 250, pick up 71, go down, shoot over and pick up 95, which is a parking lot, and go down far enough, you will be come to the border of Georgia and Florida, 918 miles. Now, I bring that up, I want you to think in terms of 918 miles because this is a time and a place without buses, without motorcycles, without cars or planes. How in the world did you get there? Well, you either walked or you took the boat. Good luck with both. So it's a long way from home. What's Paul doing there? Let's talk about a little bit of what's going on there, and then, then we'll, talk, we'll, we'll get Paul into town. There's a synagogue there. So there's Jews in that town. Now, you know that the terminology in the, in the biblical time, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. That was the, you know, the great unwashed. So they, they, weren't, they didn't distinguish who the rest of those people were. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. So there's a lot of Gentiles there, Greeks, etc. Um, uh, Thessalonica is probably in present-day Turkey, somewhere around there. In those days, it was called Macedonia. In the town, there were shrines, shrines for idols, little shrines along the road to remind you that the gods are looking over you. They were the god of fertility, the god of harvest, the god of the, of the, of the for the farmers, the god, you know, etc., etc. And those little shrines were all over the place, and the people paid homage to the idols there. There were also some temples in Thessalonica. Now, don't think of the Jerusalem temple because that was mammoth. That was, you know, that that dominated the landscape. You could see it for miles. These were smaller temples, probably about the size of a church, as we would think of it. And what happened in those? Well, they, they also worshipped idols. But they also offered up animal sacrifice. Big deal. You know, the idea of a sacrifice was if we kill this animal and take its life, we acknowledge that life comes from, well, in this case, from the idol. But that's the, that's the thought process between behind killing an animal. Well, what do you do when you got a dead animal? They would cook it, and then they would serve it. The, the, in, the, in biblical times, the temples were restaurants. You know, even I can't go to Red Lobster every day. I mean, these people ate fish all the time. And if they really wanted more protein, then they would go to the temple, and they would get red meat. All right? So that's what's going on in Thessalonica. In comes Paul. Well, Paul, generally, when he comes to town, he'll stop in at the synagogue. And he'll listen, and when they have a chance for other people to speak, he'll stand up and say, I, I, I've been touched. The Lord Jesus touched me. And I believe that God's plan is through Jesus, and salvation is through Jesus. And if we give ourselves to Jesus, he will transform us and the spirit will live within us and we will do great things. And the Jews with one voice rose up and said, 
get him out of here. Because that's not Orthodox Jewish at all. And so they threw him out. But a couple people said, wow, Paul, tell me more. And so he went out into the countryside and he, talked, he found some more people. He probably found some people that were wealthy as well. And they would sit down on the countryside or maybe the wealthy people would join, uh, uh, welcome them into their home. And he would tell them about who Jesus is. Now this is really important. Again, go back 918 miles. What do the people in Thessalonica know about Jesus of Nazareth? In all probability, absolutely nothing. They're a long way from Jerusalem. And in all honesty, it was really kind of a podunk religion that got started down there. Now, I know it's ours, but it wasn't that big in the initially. He said, well, the people from Thessalonica, they could read the Gospels. No, because when this letter was written, the first Gospel will be written 20 years later. These people didn't know the Jesus of Nazareth that you know. You know the Jesus of Nazareth from the Apostles' Creed, which wouldn't be written until the year 100. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under punishment, by crucified, died, buried, rose. You know, all the verbs. That's what he did. That was his life. They didn't know that. All they knew about Jesus was what Paul told them. Think in terms of concentric circles. The middle circle is Paul. And his, and, and his people that worked with him, Simon and, or Timothy and Silas. That's the inner circle. Then there was another circle outside of that, and that was the church of Thessalonica. And then the largest circle were the people of Thessalonica, the rest of them. So Paul knew Jesus, and he gave that knowledge to the people in the church, and then they were the one who witnessed to Jesus outside. And Paul's message to them was very clear. Jesus is our Savior. In Jesus we find salvation. Give yourself to Jesus. Let the Spirit take over. And if it does, people will know that. We will show the people because of how we live. They will know who we are by the way that we live. Paul was very insistent on that. He believed that so much that he, he mirrored that with the people. He treated them well. He treated them with great respect, with great love. And he wanted them to pick that up and use that with each other. That was a big part of his message. So we now have Paul and Thessalonica. One more historic piece of information and then we'll get into the actual scripture itself. Remember that old joke about walking and chewing gum? I'm to that point in my life, I'm just lucky to walk. Okay, I'll just one at a time. Do you remember the Sunday that we came here a couple months back? I think it was in the summer. No, it wasn't. No, I think it was in the fall. And they met us at the door and they said, church is downstairs. And we said, well, what happened? And I don't even remember what happened. But... They, John had a set up downstairs and April had done her magic again and transformed the fellowship hall and it really looked like a nice place for worship. Um, John had brought some friends. There were three young women who were uh, on the 
Worcester volleyball team were there. So we had some visitors that day. You remember that? Okay. Play with this idea just for a minute. Just let it, let it roll around. If something catastrophic, God forbid, should happen to this building and we could not use it for a while until we got it fixed, what would we do? Well, the big shots would get together and they say, we've got to find a place where we can go on Sundays. Well, we can't go to the library because it's not open yet, and we can't go to the fairgrounds because they won't let us in. So we've got to find somebody's got a big house or somebody with a big barn, or if it's nice, we can just meet outside. And wherever you met, that is Oak Chapel United Methodist Church. Right? I mean, when you look up at me, and, and there's not much to see here, but you can look at the windows. You ever notice that they're balanced? They're, the ones on this side, that'll give you something to worry about. And we had the cross and the altar, and we got the choir, and we got the organ, and, you know, and we got bricks and windows, and it looks like a church. The Church of Thessalonica wasn't a building. What we call Christianity didn't worship in buildings until 300 years later. The church of Thessalonica was in the midst of the people of Thessalonica. So think what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your redemption. Now act like it. And our witness will show throughout. throughout. People will come to Jesus because of how you are, how you live. Now, the book of Thessalonians, let me get into it. See, I told you I could go till three easily. I'm just getting started here. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, the book of Thessalonians is five chapters long. The main theme is encouragement. You guys are doing a great job, says Paul. You are really, everybody's talking about what you've done. You're, you, you're doing a great job, and we really love you. He had since moved on, and he, he, he wrote a letter back to him because I heard a couple things, but he was encouraging them with this letter. Keep up the good work. Good for you. A couple things I talked about. Let me expand on them a little bit, but you're doing fine. And I tried to model for you what it means to, be, what it means to follow Christ. And I, I see a, many of you are doing that, and I'm really proud of you. Good job. And then he gets down to chapter 5, what we call chapter 5, and he gets a little bit... You know, now we begin to see why maybe he was writing to the Thessalonians. Because there were people in, in, in the church who thought it was their job to go around to say to other people, um, I don't really know how to say this, but we don't do that anymore. Now that we follow Jesus, that just, that just doesn't fit in. They, they were... Um, they were just bringing that to their attention, admonishing them. Imagine if we had people like that around here. Never mind, never mind, don't, don't even play with that. So Paul says, there are people that do that. Be nice to them. Be nice to them. Please. Now, if you would take... Yours, your, some of you brought your own Bible. That's cool. We're on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now some of you, your Bible's in here. And that's, how you, that's where you find the scriptures. Now for older people, they're, they're, they're really saying, what are you doing with your phone in church? That's where their Bible is. 
They've got all the translations of the Bible here. They can even go back to the Greek and the Hebrew in their, on their phone. So if you have your phone and you want to follow along, that's fine. If you want to use the red Bible that's in your pew, it's page 1239. 1239. 1239. It's on the right-hand side of the page, and I think it would be to your advantage to follow along. Otherwise, um, it may be a little confusing. And I've never sent anything confusing. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, page 1239, chapter 12, he says, Now I ask you, my sisters and brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. So he got word that there was this going on and he said, let them do what they think is right. It's okay. Work, they work hard among you. Be good to them. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And then he says, live in peace with each other. Now, peace, my brothers and sisters, is not the absence of war. Peace in the scriptures means something like what is inside is also outside. The the synergy between what's inside is also outside. The authenticity comes forward. It's also about justice. Um, There's an expression that says character is who you are when there's no one around to see you. Character is what you do on your own when you're on your own. That's what peace is about. And when he says live in peace, give each one its due, be good to people. Chapter 14. And I urge you, my sisters and brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Oh my golly, that's in scripture. Be patient with everyone. Patty recites that verse to me a lot. He goes on and he contradicts the the Torah. This is good. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Remember that? He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other. But always try to be kind to each other. And then look at the rest of the sentence and to everyone else. What? Read that again. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Doesn't it logically follow that if you're kind to each other, that is everybody else? Not really. Go back to the concentric circles. Paul is saying, be kind to the church and also be kind to the rest. That's our role. That's what we do because we follow the Lord. And then we get to the heart of the matter. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. I love it. Rejoice always. Pray continually. 
thank God for everything. What would the people say when they read that? They would say, Paul, whatever you're smoking, pass it around. Are you kidding me? How can you do that? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Be thankful for everything. How can I do that? But if you think about it, I got a couple of examples I think may, may work. I don't know. Every guy who ever played a sport, I'm sure women are the same way, but I, I can only speak for guys. If you play the sport, then you think you can coach it. So every guy is, if he's into sports, is somehow a coach or an authority on the Browns or something. You never mind. If you have a, 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 an athlete that you're working with as a coach, you're going to, tell them th you're going to teach them three things. First, you're going to teach them how to use their body. Where to put your feet? How to use your hips? Where are your hands and where do your shoulders go? Where does your head go? We, we need to, they need to choreog choreograph all of that so you're in position to do what you need to do. So we first, how your body works. Second, strategy. When this happens, we do this. When this happens, we do this. When this happens, we do this. And you have to learn that. That's why baseball is so hard to learn, because the only way to learn baseball is you have to play it over and over and over again, because every time there's a different play. Baseball is really unique in that, in that, in that sense. The others are not, not as much. And then he would say, and trust your team. Pray always. Pray continually. What does prayer mean? We've lost its meaning today. What does prayer mean? Prayer has nothing to do with words and everything to do with your heart. Amen? Prayer has nothing to do with words and everything to do with your heart. And so the coach is telling you, you're going to communicate with each other so we can get the job done and we can stay on, on, on task. And finally, he says, it says, be thankful for everything. Keep your head in the game. Don't worry about the last play. Don't go there. Go ahead. I think a coach would say that. Rejoice always, pray continually. I wouldn't use those words, but I think it's the same idea. Let's do this one. I, I look around. There aren't too many of you in here that are dating. But, but if you were dating and you were looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with, what are some of the criteria that you would use? Well, you probably would look for somebody who's up. Somebody who's, who sees the good things in life. You don't want to hang around with somebody that's always griping, always complaining. Oh, my golly, Dion, under and on. So rejoice always. You want, that's the kind of person you want. You want, to talk, you want to meet somebody you want to spend your time with that you can talk to them each well, we don't, we don't get along that well because I don't know what she means. You never know what she means. And I never know. <laughs> and be thankful for everything. Be thankful for everything. Somebody, one of my bosses in business talked to me about horizons. He said when you, when you stumble, it's all to do with your horizons. What you're looking at. And then you can see this in that context. That makes a lot of sense to me. So when Paul said that, 
to the Thessalonians. He was serious. He said, rejoice all the time. Pray all the time. Be thankful for everything. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, the rest of that verse is, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not an option. This is what God asks of you. And you can take those three things. Rejoice always, pray continually, and be thankful for everything. And look at the t-shirts and say, oh wow, that's the same idea. Patience, kindness, generosity, forgiveness. The t-shirts, that's what John was talking about. It's the same thing. If we had time, we could go through the Ten Commandments and show that the Ten Commandments correlate with rejoicing, praying, and being thankful. We don't have that kind of time. We'll cut back there. He goes on and says this in verse 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. We always get, I think we get a little confused when we see that word prophecy because we get it confused with some of the things. We have three um, um, careers, jobs that people perform that we're familiar with where they're like the weatherman. The weatherman doesn't talk about what happened last week. He's talking about this coming week. Sports writers are not talking about that game. They're talking about the next game. They're not even talking about the Super Bowl anymore. They're talking about free agency. And then comes the draft. They're always a forecasting. If you have a stockbroker, he's looking ahead. That's forecasting. That's not prophecy. What is prophecy? What do we mean biblically by prophecy? Prophecy means that it's someone who explains God in our midst. Someone who can talk to us about who we are and where we are and make sense of it. And he says, treat that well, but test it. Test it to be sure. Then he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body keep you blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's winding down, and here's the good news, so am I. Let the Lord sanctify you. Let the Lord, let the Spirit fill you. And then comes the last verse. which we all remember. The one who calls you is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful. You know, our problem is we, don't, we know that we're not faithful. We know that we stumble and fall. But the, the, the good news for us is that God is faithful. And Paul says, the God who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. My brothers and sisters, I ask of you, I think what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians and I believe to us today, rejoice always, pray continually, 
give thanks in everything. Amen.